Uh, we're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew. We'll be in Matthew chapter 21, and we're going to look at the first 17 verses. Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 17. And the title of the message this morning is A Triumphal Entry. A Triumphal Entry. So before I get into the word this morning, um, let me open up in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning, Lord God. We pray that you would have your way this morning amongst us here. Lord, I pray that I would decrease and that you would increase, Lord God, that you would use me in a mighty way this morning to bring forth your word, Lord. Open up our minds and our hearts to hear from you, to receive from you, Lord God. We thank you so much for all that you've done for us, Lord, and continue to do for us day in and day out, Lord. We praise you and we love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning, let's begin by thinking about the red carpet. So think about the red carpet. When you think about the red carpet, you think about, you know, traditionally a carpet that marks the route taken by celebrities or presidents of the United States, for example, or from another part of the country. And when you think about the red carpet, it's typically a very big, grandiose thing. And one event that often we hear about or that we're very familiar with is the Oscars, right? When we hear the, about the Oscars, if we go and see it on television, you, you think about the actors and the actresses and their styles and their words. You know, they talk about themselves and, you know, what they're doing, the different movies they're appearing in and um, just different things that are going on in Hollywood. Now, when you think about the Oscars, you think about big entrances, big ceremonies, you know, dazzling, sparkling. Well, about 2,000 years ago, there was a big entrance in the city of Jerusalem. It was grand. It was something that shadows all of these red carpet ceremonies or entrances that we will ever see on this earth. And an individual came into Jerusalem and of course, we know that this individual is none other than Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, unlike these red carpet scenes like the Oscars, you know, Jesus didn't come dressed in expensive clothes or he didn't show up in a stretch limo. Rather, the Messiah came as a humble prince, the prince of peace, riding on a borrowed donkey, specifically a colt, a young donkey. And he came in humble but with dignity he came with salvation unfortunately they would reject him and we'll talk more about this as we get into the study today and this very day that i'm speaking of is what we refer to as palm sunday what we celebrate today and i'll talk about why we celebrate it and some of the elements of palm sunday as we get into the word this morning but when you think about jesus and palm sunday and you know we talked about the oscars at the beginning of this you know, Jesus wasn't there to promote himself. You know, Jesus wasn't there to make it about him, but rather he was there to fulfill the scriptures, to fulfill the word of God. You know, he was there ultimately to face the cross and to give you and me and everyone else who will ever believe a hope and a future in him and for all eternity. Now, you see, Jesus, when he came into Jerusalem, he was approaching the final week of his earthly ministry, what we refer to as the Passion Week or the Holy Week, the final week of Jesus' Jesus's earthly ministry while he was on this earth. 
you know, a week later from today, right, a week from today, we celebrate Resurrection Sunday. So a week from his entrance into Jerusalem, he would eventually rise from the dead. He would be crucified within a few days, and then he would rise from the dead. Something that is so very important to our faith, that he rose from the dead. Now, it's interesting because this is an incident that um, is recorded in all four of the Gospels, among other incidents. But if you look at Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 17, which is what we're going to look at this morning, this is mentioned, as well as in Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11, as well as in Luke chapter 19, verses 29 through 40, and in John chapter 12, uh, verses 12 through 19. So when you think about Palm Sunday, you know, what does the Bible tell us about Palm Sunday? Now, Palm Sunday, this was an event that was predicted hundreds of years before it actually took place. And scholars suggest that this event was predicted actually in the book of Daniel. If you look at Daniel chapter 9, you know, we go into a section of, of scripture that some describe as the 70 weeks of prophecy or the 70 weeks of Daniel. If you look at Daniel chapter 9, verse 25, there the angel Gabriel speaking to Daniel, he says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks which is a total of 69 weeks, the street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. So what we see here is that Daniel is informed by the angel Gabriel that after 69 weeks, which is equivalent to 69 sets of seven years or weeks of years, which is a total of 483 days, from the command to restore and build Jerusalem, the Messiah will appear. So scholars suggest that this time frame aligns with Palm Sunday. So why do they think that? Well, the command or the decree that best fits this prophecy in the book of Daniel can be found in Nehemiah chapter 2 verses 1 through 8. You see, there were other decrees, there were other commands um, for rebuilding and restoring, but they primarily focused on the temple. The, The decree and the command in Nehemiah focuses on the city of Jerusalem as a whole, and that best fits what is mentioned here in the book of Daniel. Now, if you remember from Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, Um, It was the 20th year of the reign of the Persian king, Artaxerxes, remember. And here you had Nehemiah, a Hebrew cupbearer in Persia, and he was very sad. And the king noticed this sadness on his face, and he asked him, Hey, why are you so sad? Are you sick? And Nehemiah becomes very frightened, and he actually tells the king why he's sad. He says that the city where his father's tombs were, and I'm quoting, lies in waste... (laughs) And its gates are burned with fire. And of course, we know that's a consequence of the Babylonians. And the king asked Nehemiah, what do you request of me? So Nehemiah asked the king uh, to be sent back to Judah to rebuild the walls, to rebuild the city. And he asked him for help on this journey and for um, guidance, permission to go back, supplies and safe passage back to, uh, to Judah or Jerusalem. 
And scholars suggest that this decree, this command, took place around 445 BC, that is March of 445 BC. So if you add the 483 years or the 69 sets of seven years to, to 445 BC, that gives us a date of around April 6, 32 AD. And scholars once again suggest that this is the very day that we're celebrating today, which is Palm Sunday, you know, a little over 2,000 years ago. So as we get into the Word of God this morning, there are several things I want us to look at um, as we go through the text. So getting into the text now, in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, the first thing I want us to recognize is how Jesus came. How Jesus came. And this is verses 1 through 7. So here, the Word of God says, now, when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and said to Jesus, Command them. Uh, I'm sorry. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. Verse 7, They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. So for some time now, Jesus had been going back and forth, you know, in Galilee. He had been performing miracles and healings. And here we have him finally coming back to Jerusalem. And, you know, when you think about Jesus, this was a person who avoided public demonstrations. He was typically in, on the down low, right? Kept himself secret. He didn't want people to tell anybody what he was doing or who he was. But on this very day, we have a little bit of a different um, representation. You know, Jesus comes in to Jerusalem and everybody knows. You see, at this time, they were celebrating Passover. And some scholars suggest that there may have been well over two million people there in Jerusalem. And other scholars suggest that there may have been a composition of at least... Three types of Jews, excuse me, Mike fell here. The Jews that were living in Jerusalem and the Jews that were among the crowds in the region of Galilee, and also, as suggested by John chapter 12, those that saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. So in John chapter 12, verse 17 and 18, uh, the word of God says, Therefore, the people who were with him, speaking of Jesus, when he called Lazarus out of his tomb and raised him from the, from the dead, bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him. So at the end of the day, what we realize is that there was a lot of people there in Jerusalem, a lot of people that came to see Jesus. And as we mentioned already, Jesus came to fulfill the scriptures to bring salvation, right? He came with mercy and with grace, but unfortunately, he would be refused. 
John 1 verse 11 tells us that he went to his own, but his own did not receive him. And in fact, if you look at Luke's account of Palm Sunday, in Luke chapter 19, verse 41, the word of God says, As he, speaking of Jesus, drew near and saw the city, speaking of Jerusalem, he wept. And, you know, I studied this verse, and some scholars suggest that he didn't just weep, he, he wailed, he, he cried for this city, likely because of their suffering to come and the fact that they missed the opportunity for salvation. Now, Jesus' actions would eventually force the religious leaders um, to destroy and to fulfill the scriptures that the Lamb of God would be crucified. Now, the Word of God tells us that the next time they will see their king, speaking of Jesus, coming back to the city of Jerusalem, will not occur until after the Great Tribulation as we read in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, when the Lord comes back um, in all of his power and glory with his saints. So this was an unfortunate opportunity that was missed by the Jewish people in that time. So as Jesus makes his way back to Jerusalem, um, what we see, or what we read rather, is that he tells his disciples, go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. If anyone questions it, say, The Lord has need of them. The disciples then bring the donkey and its colt to Jesus. Um, it says that they laid their clothes on them and set him on them. So Jesus comes riding in on this young borrowed donkey into Jerusalem. And in verse 5 here in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 21, um, he quotes what is prophesied in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, where the word of God says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And interestingly, in that time, um, donkeys were usually written by the poor. They were written by those that were considered a burden. And of course, this was after Solomon's time. And I love this about Jesus. You know, an individual who was willing to come to this earth, go from glory to glory with the cross in between, you know, which involves coming to this earth in the flesh as a man in lowliness, yet bold when he needed to be bold you know, amongst the religious leaders. And, you know, we read about this throughout scripture. And he did all of this for us, for you and for me, and for anybody who believes, right? To have everlasting life, to forgive us of our sins. And there's just no greater love than that. I love the Lord. I thank him so much for that every single day. Now, the second thing I want us to notice here in the text is that Jesus is honored as he comes in to the city of Jerusalem. He's honored in two different ways. Number one, the multitudes honor him with their actions. So if you look at verse 8, uh, the word of God says, And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. So we see that some individuals, you know, they put some clothes on the road as the Lord is approaching to honor him. The Prince of Peace is coming. And others cut branches from trees and laid them on the road. 
Now, if you look at John's account of Palm Sunday, this event, in John chapter 12, verses 12 through 13, John tells us that the next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, speaking of Passover, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him. So we see that these actions actually gave rise to the name Palm Sunday, the very day we're celebrating today. Now, the second way that Jesus is honored, we see here in verses 9 through 11. It says here that the multitudes, then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? In verse 11, So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. So what we see here, what we read about here, is that the crowds honor him verbally, right? They're shouting, they're singing, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And this is very similar to what we read this morning in Psalm 118 verses 24 through 26 as we did the call to worship this morning. Um, And Hosanna actually means save now. Save now. And this is what these individuals were shouting as the Lord uh, was coming into the city of Jerusalem. And I just want to share with you from Luke's account of this. And I love this because if you look at Luke chapter 19, verses 39 through 40, here um, the word of God says, And some of the Pharisees called to him, speaking of Jesus, from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Right? They were honoring him. They were praising him. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. How cool is that? It's amazing. Now, notice that the multitudes, you know, they were just overjoyed with the fact that Jesus was coming. They identify him as the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. And, you know, you ask yourself, why are they so excited? Why are they so happy that he has come? Well, remember that the Jewish people They were looking for a Messiah, an individual to deliver them um, from Roman occupation. They wanted an individual to establish a physical kingdom there and now, right? Save now, Hosanna. Um, However, Jesus was more concerned with establishing a spiritual heavenly kingdom than an earthly physical kingdom. And for this reason, All of these shouts of Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, would a few days later change to crucify him as they've become disloyal to the Lord. You see, when God's agenda is different from your own, sometimes you can become disloyal to the Lord. We see this among the Jews. And, you know, I was thinking about this in my own life, and maybe you all can relate to this as well. You know, sometimes God's agenda, God's plans for our lives are very different from our own, right? And sometimes we think we know what's best for us. And when God's plans are not our own, things are not going our own way, we too can become disloyal to the Lord. 
Um, you know, we stop praying. We stop trusting him. We don't get into the word. We don't go to church anymore. We stop seeking his face. We become distant from the Lord, which is a very dangerous place to be because that's where the enemy wants you because he wants to devour you. Um, but what we need to do is just trust the Lord with all of our hearts and lean not on our own understandings, which is very difficult thing to do. It's easy to say, but when you actually apply it to your life, it's a very difficult thing to do. But just trust the Lord because the Lord loves you more than you love yourself. He loves you more than your mother loves you, right? He loves you more than anybody else. He knows what's best for you. So just trust the Lord. Trust him. Now, as we discussed um, last week, you know, Jesus, actually this week, Jesus fulfills the scriptures and he returns to Jerusalem to do this. And ultimately, he's going to face the cross, right? He's going to be crucified. But remember, the cross is where the power is. That's where the power is. And Pastor Angel spoke of this last week when we were in 1 Corinthians. And the blood of Jesus and the message of the cross, that gospel message, that is where the power is. That is where the saving grace is. Now, when you think about the gospel message, you know, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You look at verses 1 through 4. We have the three elements of the gospel. Number one, that Jesus died for our sins. Number two, that he was buried. And number three, that he rose from the dead. You put your faith in that message. You recognize you are a sinner. You repent of your sin. That is what makes you righteous in the sight of God. Now, that's a message, as we discussed last week, that is foolishness to those that are perishing. But to us that are being saved, it is the power of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 speaks of this. So that's the message. That is the message that saves. It's very simple, but it requires surrender is what it requires. Um, it doesn't require anything else but surrender to the Lord. Now, the third thing that we see Jesus doing here on Palm Sunday, and the final thing he does, is he cleans house. He cleans house. So what we see in verse 12 through 17 is that he goes into the temple and he cleanses it. So here the word of God says, Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer. But you have made it a den of thieves. Verse 14. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple. Excuse me. And he healed them. Verse 15. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out to the temple, in the temple, saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise? Then he left them and went out of the city to Bethany and he lodged there. So once again, this was the Passover feast, period of Passover, and Passover preparations were taking place you know, in that time, households would rid their homes of leaven. And when you think of leaven, leaven is a substance like yeast that is added to dough. It, it allows the dough to ferment and to rise. Um, but in the word of God, leaven is often a representation of sin or evilness. 
And what's interesting here is that in preparation for Passover, these individuals are cleaning out their houses of leaven, and here the Lord is also cleaning out the temple of leaven, if you will. And in that time, a temple tax was collected. It was a half shekel tax, which was approximately worth two days of wages. Um, and it needed to be paid. That tax was used for upkeep and maintenance of the temple. However, people were taking advantage of each other, collecting this tax and changing the money. Um, and this is something that the Lord was addressing here as he was cleaning out house. And in, in verse 13, he's quoting from Isaiah 56, 7, uh, where it says, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And then in verse 14 here in Matthew chapter 21, there's a little bit of a shift. Um, we see here that a blind, the blind and the lame come into the temple and Jesus heals them. We see him continuing to carry out, you know, the compassionate work that he was sent to do here in the temple courts. And I love this about our Lord and Savior. You know, he's meek, but he's not weak. He's bold when he needs to be bold, as he was towards these dishonest individuals and the religious leaders as well. But he was willing to heal these people that were in need. Now, in verse 15 and 16, um, once again, it says, But when the chief priest and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Now, they were indignant. That phrase, I looked it up in the King James Version of the Bible. It says that they were sore displeased. Um, that phrase in the Greek is agalakteo, which means that they were greatly afflicted. They were greatly afflicted, these religious leaders, because these young people, these children, were praising the Lord. And we can see their twisted hearts. They were okay with these dishonest people in the temple, but they weren't okay with people worshiping the Lord, um, which gives us an idea of who these people really were. They were acting religious, but there was no change on the inside of their lives or in their hearts. And the final thing we see here in verse 17 is that Jesus left Jerusalem and he stayed in Bethany. So just um, another thing to add there. Um, once again, in that time, there were so many people in Jerusalem. It wasn't uncommon for people to stay outside of the city because there were so many people there for the Passover feast. So what we see here um, is just the day that Jesus came into Jerusalem Many things happened. Many things were done. So in closing this morning, there are four things that we talked about, right? As we celebrate Palm Sunday, we remember Palm Sunday and Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. The first thing we talked about is the fact that in the word of God, this was an event that was predicted 483 years before it actually took place. And we looked at um, the book of Daniel a little bit. We looked at Nehemiah and how scholars suggest that those dates align nicely with Palm Sunday and that prophecy um, being fulfilled there in the 70 weeks of Daniel. Secondly, we talked about how Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, right? The Prince of Peace came in lowly, yet with dignity, right? He was riding on a borrowed donkey, specifically a colt. It was a young donkey. And he was fulfilling the scriptures. 
thirdly, we talked about how he honored, how he was honored rather, by the crowds, by their actions, right? They laid clothes on the road and they laid palm branches on the road. And they also honored him verbally, right? They honored him, they were calling him Hosanna. Um, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But unfortunately, a few days later, they would be cursing him and yelling, crucify him um, as they become disloyal to the Lord because God's plan was very different from their own plan. And the last thing we looked at was that Jesus cleanses the temple and then he um, goes out of the city for the night. And then we see that he's back up in the next the next morning and he curses a fig tree and tells parables to the religious leaders. And that's something that um, I, I um, recommend that you would read on your own time as we continue through Holy Week. But as we celebrate Palm Sunday today, you know, we want to prepare our hearts to celebrate Resurrection Sunday, which is a week from today. And that's an event that is extremely important to Christianity, to our Christian walk. Because Paul tells us that if Jesus hadn't resurrected from the dead, our faith would be futile. It would be weak. It would be useless. It'd have no effect. But the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, it gives us a hope. It gives us a future. It gives us victory over sin and over death, right? Because the wages of sin is death. And let's reflect this week, you know, because this is the last week that, you know, we we celebrate or we reflect on the fact that Jesus had his final days on this earth before his crucifixion, everything that he had to endure, um, everything that he had to face, and the fact that Jesus was willing to surrender to the will of his Father is something that I'm very thankful for, that he was willing to go to the cross to die for my sins and for your sins and for the sins of all of humanity is something that we should really reflect on and think about this week. And, you know, even when we go astray, you know, the Lord goes after us, doesn't he? He knows, he knows our hearts better than we know our own hearts. And if you haven't given your life to Jesus, today is the day of salvation. You know, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. And remember in John three sixteen, the word of God tells us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And You see, God loves us so much. And, you know, love always has an action, right? He loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And when you think about that, Jesus came for everybody. He came for everybody. Um, In fact, in Romans 10, 13, the word of God tells us that whoever calls on his name will be saved. And maybe there's family members, maybe there's friends that come into your mind, into your heart right now that don't know Jesus. Keep praying for them. Keep fighting for them through intercession because God's timing is perfect. You know, unfortunately, it's never my timing, right? It's it's God's timing that we need to to put our hope and our faith in because his timing is perfect. 2 Peter 3.9 tells us, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So remember, giving your life to Jesus, it doesn't require a special setting, you know, some sort of ceremony. It just requires surrendering your heart to Jesus, right? And we talked about this, putting your faith in the message, number one, that Jesus died for your sins. Number two, that he was buried. 
Number three, that he rose from the dead on the third day. You put your faith in that message. You recognize you are a sinner. You repent of your sin. That's what makes you righteous in the sight of God. You can have peace with God, and then you can experience the peace of God in your life, which is a peace that surpasses all understanding. So remember, the cross and the blood of Jesus, that's where the power is. Amen. Let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word, Lord, for your promises, for your son, Jesus, Lord. As we remember Palm Sunday today, Lord God, and as we remember this week, Lord, this holy week, this passion week, Lord, you know, as your son, about 2,000 years ago, Lord God, was on this earth in his final days, we thank you so much for his willingness, Lord God, to surrender to you and to go to the cross, Lord, to die for my sins and for the sins of all of humanity, Lord. Thank you so much, Lord, for loving us so much that you would send your only begotten son to die for us. We ask, Lord God, that you give us the desire to surrender to you, Lord. Our lives, our hearts, our everything, Lord God, because there's nothing more. You are everything, Lord God. We pray, Lord, for everybody here this morning. Help us to be a light. Help us to be an example, Lord. Our desire is to be more like your son, Jesus, every single day. Give us a thirst for your word, a thirst for prayer, Lord God, a thirst to be in fellowship with you, Lord. Help us to look more like him every single day, Lord, to share that love with everyone around us, Lord, a love that you've given to us so freely. We praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.